Welcome to Tips from Trestle. This podcast is dedicated to discussing the senior living industry with a unique focus on food, hospitality, and leadership. I'm your host, Aaron Fish. As a 25-year veteran of the hospitality industry, I've focused my work on creating exceptional experiences for the customers we serve. My goal for this podcast? Educate, inform, and inspire leaders in senior living to bring food and hospitality to the front of mind in our industry. Let's bring the innovative and passionate spirit of hospitality to everything that we do. For the residents, families, guests, and employees we serve each and every day. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it. Joining me today on Tips from Trestle is Tony Fisk. Tony is a professional speaker with multiple dementia certifications as educator and trainer, working with professional care partners and family members. She is also skilled as a TIPA Snow PAC certified independent trainer, as well as a virtual dementia tour certified trainer. As a certified dietary manager and vetted senior living dining operations consultant, Tony follows her deep commitment towards education and enlightenment in the care for persons living with dementia. Tony, thanks for being here today on Tips from Trestle. Hi, Aaron. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, anytime someone with your background and expertise comes on, I'm always curious, especially because I read in your book that you actually started out in hospitality. Um, when people start in hospitality and wind up in senior living, I'm always curious as to the how and the why, because I've found we all kind of stumbled into it and found something that we weren't really expecting. Hmm. That is the truth. Uh, way back when I was actually working with Marriott hotels and they were in the healthcare business. This tells you how long ago this was and they got out of it and they gave us the option to either stay in the hotel and end or to transition to the healthcare piece. And I said, well, hey, why not? You know, I was young and it sounded interesting and I was really tired of working late nights. <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, okay, you know, this is, a, this is a great opportunity. So I did, and that's when I transitioned. Awesome. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, in, in meeting you and talking to you and reading you're really passionate about dementia care and making sure that it's right for dementia. And so what drew you to that aspect of what we do? You know, it, there are a lot of people that do senior living and they are just not comfortable in that setting. I know early in my career, it was really hard for me to even be in a memory care neighborhood because I was just so uncomfortable with it. Um, but over time I got a little bit better, but obviously this is something you, you just dive ahead first into. So what drew you to dementia care and, and what about the food experience in dementia care is so, so fulfilling for you? Well, it can be, it can be frightening without a doubt. And I was definitely right along with you early in, well, even late into my career in senior living, because as a dining expert, as a dining manager, we had limited contact with the residents themselves and you know whatever the degree of the health care was um, but you also see what's going on and I think of health care 
fighters to to be fighters and we need to jump into the into the fracas and get skilled and educated so that we know what to do and how to handle it we can't continue to run away from it and it's like when the call bell is going off when you're walking down the hallway you just can't do that it's just not it's just not right and we're in the business of caring for people and sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone and learn different things in order to make us more effective as a care partner with those who are depending on us. And that could either be the food aspect or it can be, you know, the daily living aspect. So we can't be afraid. And that's what prompted me to learn more about dementia because those were the folks that needed more attention. And that's really what it was. So I just jumped in both feet. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, coming from hospitality and then you got into the, the food side of things. I mean, you have certifications and training in like actual caregiving and, and dementia and deep understanding. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I'm, I'm always curious about, because I, you know, when I was on the operator side, I had have done some dementia training, you know, where they give you the goggles and make you wear the gloves. Mm-hmm. And so you can do that sensory thing. Um but it always felt artificial. And so um, kind of walk us through the benefit from, for a food service person, for somebody who does food and, and hospitality for a living, those certifications and, and how they can use those to be better at their job as they're in a senior living community. Sure. I What I did was I, I did uh, four different types of specific trainings and I wanted to get different opinions, outlooks, approaches from each of these areas of learning. So part of my certified dementia practitioner and my Montessori training really gave the the clinical piece to understand what's happening in the brain and the changes that are going on physically inside to your brain as it shrinks down and and just really stops functioning as efficiently as it normally would. And from the TIPA snow training and also the virtual dementia tour that got into that hands-on experience at experiential training, where now you understand when I do this, you do that. If I do a certain action or a movement, it's gonna create a response. And as I tell everyone during any of my trainings, chances are if there's some type of a situation happening, whether it's a, you know, and behavior is such a negative term, but if there's a behavioral situation, something occurred to that person that created it. And chances are, it's probably us that did it. And we need to understand, okay, what just happened take a couple steps back, figure out what I did wrong, and then let me try again. And also the the art of de-escalating when there is a situation when someone is really, they're just, they've lost control of their emotions because they can't express themselves. And how can I better understand, you know, what's happening and then help to bring you back down to where you're in a, a better space and you're calmer and able to then move forward. Do you, do you find when the food service employees get this training that they approach everything differently 
um, not just when they're maybe on the floor or in the memory care neighborhood, but maybe also when they're in the kitchen or, you know, preparing food. Do they take a different approach or have a different uh, way of doing things from your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I was working with a group uh, in, in hospitals and I'm working with younger people that were the, the dietary aides, right? They were going to the rooms and taking orders on the tablet. And I had done a training with them and uh, I got feedback from one young lady. I was so surprised. And she said, gosh, you know, Tony, I realized what was happening. I remembered what you told us to do. So I slowed down. I made sure I was in their visual field. I took my time and I gave them space. I gave them an opportunity to digest what I was requesting. I was asking them for their meal and I waited as opposed to just the impression of like, let's go. I'm in a hurry. I have to be, I've got to go. I've got 10 more rooms. I've got to be downstairs. You know, we all feel that crush of time because we're on, we're always on the clock to get to the next task. And she said, it made such a difference because I understood and I remembered what you said and it was so effective. I said, that's awesome. So it's just important to remember that regardless of the level of care that an individual is in, they're, they're there at the community for a reason. And we need to understand whether it's dementia or a different brain change or they're just net normal aging that we're there to serve and we have to take our time and be patient and understand different things that we can do to make the dining experience as special as it can be. It is a social event and just be there for them during that time. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's funny you say it that way, right? Cause then you think about being in a restaurant, you know, it's getting to know your customer and understanding what they do and, and how they prefer to be waited on and, and how they, Look at menus. And really, this is no different. It's just it seems different or feels different because everybody is just so nervous or or uneducated, maybe when it comes mm -hmm. to dementia and how it goes. So um, which is a great segue to talk a little bit about your book. Right. Um, I will hold it up. So you're watching the video. You can see it. Dine with Dignity. Um, so kind of talk to me a little bit about why you decided to write this book uh, and put all of your experience and knowledge into this in the way you did? Well, writing the book was an awesome experience. And if anybody really has a, a passion for something, a topic is do it. It takes time, it takes a commitment, but you're putting yourself out there and hopefully providing a tool uh, and information, a support mechanism for those that are out there that are, in, in my case, living with dementia in some fashion. Um, you know, they, one in five families are affected by dementia in some fashion. It's true in my family for sure. And you don't want to feel helpless when you're out there. And there are a lot of books about dementia. There's a ton of tools to help you along with that. But what I felt my book did was it provided some of the, really a common sense approach, a lay person's approach. I wrote it just like how I talk. I just feel like I just made it very simplified and I spoke English when I wrote it. I didn't get fancy. I'm certainly, I'm not a clinician and I make many references to that in the book. Like these are just my suggestions and my thoughts. Please refer to a your yeah. professional, whether it's your, your medical 
or your therapy or a dietitian when you're working specifically with your loved one, because even if you've met one person with dementia, that's one person and everybody's different and they have different needs and requirements. But the roots of the book was I had written a commercial manual for a dementia and dining program. And from that, because the tools are there, is I just shrank it down and I made it into a, a reasonable handheld tool that anyone wow. can look at and just pick up and use as a reference. And I loved it. I had a great experience not only putting together the manual, but then also um, literally giving birth to this book. It was fantastic. I love it. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, no, it, for me, was such a great read because it's just like you said, right? It's so easy to go through. There's not a lot of, I mean, there's definitely, you go through and talk about clinical things and define mm -hmm. clinical things, but it doesn't feel like I'm reading some sort of medical text or some mm -hmm. sort of like uh, something that was written by maybe a registered dietitian, right? And so yeah. it's super easy to read. It's super easy to pull things out of. And I think one of the things I liked about it too was that it, it's a great tool for somebody who's an operator, but it can also be a really good tool or somebody who's just caring for a loved one at home. Mm -hmm. And right. so it's, it kind of does that nice balancing act. So um, I appreciated that. And so there, there were a couple things in the book uh, that I wanted to specifically kind of talk to you about um, because I think they really will be helpful and beneficial for uh, operators and those of us in uh, food service and senior living to kind of think about. And so the first was, um, you've got a, a part of the book where you talk about how you create a model dining area. You've got like four steps, four tips that everybody should follow. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about those um, and why they're important. Sure. You know, when you think about your own personal experiences growing up and even as an adult and you go through your own life with your own family, when we are considering persons who are living with dementia, they perchance are struggling, struggling with current, their current environment, but they're not gonna forget their roots, okay? So if I'm a farmer and every morning for the past 60 years, I've had a cup of coffee at the kitchen table with the radio playing, then that is something that is ingrained in me. And we have to understand that. And once again, understanding who we're working with and who we're caring for. And that's that atmosphere that I refer to. So the, the dining room, the dining space should closely resemble maybe good memories and good times. Like dad always sits at the head of the table. The mom sits at the other head of the table or the bottom of the table, I guess. Right. <laughs> the corresponding family members sit where they are. Well, you know, if you have a gentleman who's used to being the, you know, the, the patriarch, then sit him at the head of the table and try to give him those things that he's accustomed to with his a favorite mug. And that is associated. And then not only is he comfortable and he's drinking his coffee, but, you know, hydration, of course, is always a big thing. Um, and use that time and that space to encourage them to drink or to eat or whatever the situation may be. Uh, I, I just think that's important. Do we have to have a bunch of things on the table taught? Not necessarily. It depends on what stage of dementia they're in. 
if they're it's the early onset, then they're capable of of working with and dealing with, you know, what we consider to be normal place settings. As they get further on in dementia, then maybe you kind of want to simplify things and mainly so as not to be a distraction. There's uh, if they're focused and they're they're eating, then you don't want things that are going to take their 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 mind and their eyes off of what they're doing. So, you know, less is more. Uh, make sure that it's nice. Make sure that it's appropriate. The lighting should be better. It should be bright. How many of us go into a restaurant and we pull out our flashlights, <laughs> right, to read the menu? Well, yeah. you know, hey, that's that's no different than someone who has dementia. And as they d- decline and go deeper into the disease, then their vision becomes affected. And uh, we can't forget that just like our vision, like our, yeah. our normal aging, our vision begins to um, decline a little bit and we do, we get glasses or we get to have surgery or cataracts and contacts and all that stuff. So uh, I think that's important. Always put yourself in their shoes, so to speak. So if you like a nice clean table, if you like to have lighting, if you like fresh flowers, if you like to have uh, you know, a glass of water and a regular beverage, and it could be alcohol, you know, once again, it depends on what stage you're at and whatever the physician is approving, then why not? How many times in nursing homes do they get orders to give whiskey or to give a beer? I mean, sometimes that's what the physician orders. Who are we to judge? Yeah. And we have to keep our agendas, our own agendas out of the mix because it's not about us. Yeah. It's never find, about us. Do you it's find, about them. Yeah, I was going to say, do you find operators have a hard time with that piece of the, the well, they have dementia, so they have to be treated a certain way, or we can't give them certain things because it's not what you would do for someone with dementia. But when you find that, how do you deal with that? It's... It's like, well, how do you know that? It's not like um, it's not like when you break your arm and you have to set it a certain way and that's it. And there's maybe three different ways to set a broken arm. People with dementia are going through all sorts of different things. There's no pattern. There's no automatic. It's all different ways that their brains are being affected. Some of them, if, if it's with the prefrontal, then... They have time, they have difficulty with safety. But if I don't have that problem, then uh, maybe I do have my safety awareness. And it is okay if I use a fork and a knife and a steak knife. But if I have prefrontal, you know, cortex issues, then I probably don't want to give them a steak knife. And I want to give them food that's maybe pre-cut because they're lacking that ability to do determine what's safe and what's not safe. So everybody is different. I think if someone goes into it with that approach and that theory, then they're not educated. They don't really understand what's going on because everybody is different. They all have different ways of being cared for and responding and taking care of themselves and different abilities. It's, it's really, everybody is different and it's up to us as professionals to understand and treat it, everybody as an individual. Yeah. And so it kind of lends me to ask a question about the, the third thing that you're talking about in the dining area and your four steps. When you talk about menus and mealtime, you, you, you say strategy is important. And so mm-hmm. 
I'm assuming that, you know, part of that is understanding that, yeah, I'm serving 10 different residents with dementia, but I've got 10 different needs or 10 different concerns or 10 different issues. Mm -hmm. And so what are some other things when it comes to meals and menus that are, that are important? Oh, well, adaptive equipment to me is very important. I have found even my own experience is that the staff, um, the dining staff, and maybe even nursing to some extent, they don't understand what these pieces of equipment are for. So let's say if it's a weighted spoon, like, okay, well, it's, it's still a spoon. What's the big difference? You know, we'll just give them a regular spoon because I can't find one. So I'm just going to give them a regular spoon. Yeah. And the reason why they have a weighted spoon is maybe they have hand tremors. And so they, you know, they have their hands shake. So a weighted spoon is going to give them that opportunity where they're going to have control over the spoon so that they're able to feed themselves. Right. So we want to embrace that let them to do the things for themselves for as long as they possibly can yeah. until, because one day will come when they're not going to be able to do it. Right. So that's one thing is have the right equipment in order to help them to eat and to drink. If you have uh, coffee mugs, well, sometimes, you know, some places are or more elegant and fancier than others. And maybe they have the China cups, which have the little holes to put your fingers in. Well, as you age and maybe your hands, you have arthritis. I need a, a cup that has a bigger hole in it. So <laughs> I'm not just putting a finger in right. it. Maybe I can do two finger grip where I can lift the cup so I can drink my cup of coffee. Yeah. as I have the last 70 years of my life. But if I can't grip that cup of coffee or I'm forced to do two hands, well, if it's too hot, I can't pick it up. And then maybe that leads to spills or that leads to burns or, you know, who knows what can go wrong. And at that point, it's like, all right, I'm not going to touch the stove again. Then I'll, I'm just going to decline. Oh, nothing for me. Yeah. I, I, I'm not thirsty. I don't okay. feel like it today. Yeah. And that's obviously not really the case. It's more of their inherent dignity issues or concerns mm -hmm. coming up saying, well, if I can't do this. I don't want to be seen not being able to do it. So I'll just skip it. And that, exactly. that's such a great point to bring up. Um, the, the last point that you make is about socialization. Um, kind of talk to us a little bit about um, why socialization at mealtime is important. Well, think back to your to your roots, to your family roots. That was the time when everybody came home and we sat around the table. And we talked, well, how was your day and what did you do and how was school? Now, that's a little different, I think, than now uh, as our kids grow up now. But from from that generation, you know, the silent generation, the great generation, that was a time when everybody came together. And I know when I was growing up and it was dinner time, if I wasn't there at the crack of five <laughs> o'clock, then... Oh, I had to pay. I paid the price. And yeah. you know, now it's different. But the people we're caring from are from that generation. So right. you know, it's like, what is comfortable to them? What makes sense to them? And you have that conversation. And if you're in a community, then I, I really hope that they're pairing higher functioning residents with some of our lower functioning residents. And even though they may not be able to speak or really engage in a conversation like how we are now, they can still hear and they can still hopefully keep up to some point 
but at least they're alert and they're paying attention and perhaps they can have a conversation or they can contribute to something. And who wants to sit in silence all the time? Even if I can't speak back, then at least I know you're actually talking to me because my eyes still see, I can see, you know, your expressions. I can see your body language. I can see what's going on and you can feel a mood if it's a good mood at the table. There's a lot of action because what do we do sometimes when we go out, we people watch. Yeah. They're doing it too. (laughs) They're doing it. That's such a great tip. I I think, and I think some people would think maybe for, ease of care thinking about what's important for us then maybe it makes sense like well these these residents are higher functioning so let's put them all together and kind of just mm-hmm. segregate them i love the idea of being able to just put residents where it makes sense have them be able to engage with each other and really kind of you know because it, it amazes me when i hear people talk about like the random things that will will spark a resident that maybe hasn't communicated or done something in a while mm-hmm. and then they hear something that kind of triggers that memory or hits that synapse you know, one time. And it's like, now they're back and they're engaged for a minute. And that, that always, you know, as I've gotten more comfortable with dementia in, in, in the memory care neighborhood, been able to see that and been, wow, that's a really cool thing that happened. And so um, I love that you're, you, you talk about that. Well, you don't want to forget, Aaron, is that the way that they're processing information isn't as fast as we process information. So even you may say something and it's going to take them an extra click for it to go, okay, they're talking about flowers or they're talking about dogs or whatever, whatever the topic is for them to sort of like click and get the, that memory going and put it together. I, I like to say, it's like you have a file cabinet in your head. It's when you see something and that's also, I think we'll talk about it in a minute, if I see someone and we've all done it, right. We've all been at a conference or a meeting or someplace like, gosh, they look so familiar. Who are they? Who are they? And you're like straining to try to remember who this person is. Right. Well, that's that same feeling and the same type of action that someone with dementia is going through when they're seeing something and they're trying to register what it is to jumpstart that conversation. They just need a couple extra minutes to go through that file cabinet and find that file and put it together and then engage on their own. Yeah, no, that's such great. And it, it does kind of let me think about another thing that you wrote about in the book. Um, and then you were trying to hint at it. So we'll just jump into it. Um, as caregivers, as people working in the communities, in the neighborhoods with residents with dementia, um, what kind of communication tips would you give to caregivers? I know you've got a ton of them in your book, um, but what are some of the like, maybe like three or four of the key ones that you think really are important uh, for maybe a first time caregiver to know and, and try and understand. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, just what I was speaking to is important. There is uh, there's nothing worse to do than to try to force somebody to remember something. Yeah. And as a, as a, a daughter to her mother, and then I go in, and I see my mom and she doesn't recognize me. And I'm like, no, mom, it's me. It's me. So two things have gone wrong here, (laughs) or actually more than that, but it's like, (laughs) I can't jam it down her throat. It's like, okay, she doesn't recognize that it's me. So maybe I need to introduce myself. 
and I say, hi, mom, or maybe call her by her, hey, uh, Mary, it's Tony. How are you? Great to see you. And then maybe that's, she's, maybe she doesn't feel the pressure to try to remember because they get anxiety too, just like we oh, would. Yeah. And then to just like, it's me, it's me. It's like, don't you remember me? Because then what's your face doing? It's like, don't you remember me? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, so I don't know who you are, lady, but now see you're getting angry with me. So that's making me scared. And the more frightened I get of you, stranger, stranger danger, the mm -hmm. more I'm going to withdraw, or I may even get really upset and start to cry, or I may start to yell and scream. Who knows what's going to happen? Right. So if you are working with someone or you're approaching someone going through a brain change and they are you see that they are they're not wanting you, then you need to step away. I don't care if that's your mom, your dad, your kid. It doesn't matter. Step away and then come back and reapproach in a different fashion, because you're not going to be able to force your goodwill onto them. They don't want it. They don't want it. Yeah. And you're going to lose that battle. So just understand that if they're not registering you, then, okay, it is what it is. They're not doing it to, you know, get back at you or be ornery or whatever it is you want to call it. They're just not remembering you. Um, yeah. That's important. It's interesting that you brought up the whole body language thing, because how mm -hmm. many times do we not even think about our facial expressions? You know, mm -hmm. I catch myself, because I, I'm, I am aware of how I, how I stand when I talk to people, when I'm presenting to people, mm -hmm. how my body looks and feels, and when I'm crossing my arms and how I'm opening myself up to it. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people think about that when they're communicating every day, especially if you're dealing with a loved one. And I think it's mm -hmm. so important that you, you hit on that body language piece because that could absolutely make a ton of sense. So, um, Talk to me a little bit about distractions when communicating. Distractions. What 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 distracts you? Someone slams the door. Uh, if you're at home and the and the grandkids are running or the regular kids are running around <laughs> making a racket or the animals are running around, it's very distracting. And yeah. if you're like during mealtime or you're focusing on something is that okay mom's going she's eating she's she's focused on the food because i know she's hungry i know it was the last time she ate i know how much she ate so i know she's got to be hungry so she's eating and then all of a sudden all these kids come running by well what do you do you look because it's a visual distraction it's a it's a noise distraction and then it's like okay um what was i doing and unless somebody prompts you to get going again, to start to eat again, you're, you're going to have lost track of what you were doing. And that can be, um, you know, not good. It's yeah. not good at all. But, yeah. And I, the, I get distracted easily and I can only imagine somebody who is, I mean, this is a huge thing for them, mm -hmm. how quickly they could move on from eating to another task or thinking they need to be doing something else. And then you've lost that whole entire meal for them. So um, one last thing about communication I wanted to ask you to speak on a little bit was um, you had talked a little bit about avoiding pronouns and using, using short sentences. Mm -hmm. um, and the short sentences kind of make sense to me, but the pronouns was an interesting one. And so 
I'd love for you to talk a little bit about why those things are so important before we wrap up here today. Yeah, the if it's like uh, we're if you use pronouns, you're speaking in shorthand. Uh, that's his book, or that's Aaron's book. And if I'm already dealing with with some brain change and I'm having uh, some difficulty in tracking things and understanding what's going on with the conversation, I may not understand. Well, that's you know that's Aaron's chair. Your chair is over here. Well, I don't know what I don't know who Aaron is. I don't know what Aaron means. All I know is, you know, that's a chair and I want to sit in that chair. Or it's just like you can't you can't speak in shorthand. Right. You need to keep it short and simple and to the point. And really, you can offer choices when you're talking, but also be sure to take your time to give them an opportunity to answer. Because now we're in a, in a, a living of instant responses, instant gratification. Uh, people living with dementia take a little bit longer to process that information. So if you're having a discussion and you're talking about maybe you're, you know, Tony is coming over and Tony is bringing the kids, Joey and Billy, to come and see you, Mary. It just makes it gives an opportunity to understand a little bit more about what's going on. But once you start saying, well, she's come in and she's bringing the boys to see you, it'd be like, uh, who's she? Who's she? Okay. Oh, okay. All right, Tony. Well, she's bringing the boys. Well, what boys? Yeah. I mean, in this case, less is not more. <laughs> right. Is right. more yeah. But limit it so they have an opportunity to understand what's going on because we can't speak in shorthand. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see it, it's almost like a verbal distraction, right? Because now mm -hmm. I have to think about who's the you, who's the boys, who's the they, who's the them. And mm -hmm. it's such a, as you describe it, I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense as to why mm -hmm. that could get really confusing really fast as I'm trying to go to that file cabinet that you talked about mm -hmm. and try and process and put it all together. So, man, there's a, a lot of information here today mm -hmm. that you've, and I, we just scratched the surface of things in right. your book. So, um, so as we wrap up, Tony, uh, let the listeners know how they can reach out, learn more about what you do, uh, learn more about how to get your book, all that good stuff. Um, and we'll put a lot of information in the show notes as well. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's a very important topic and I think we need to educate ourselves and, and arm ourselves with more information as we go, if we're working in healthcare to, to help those out who need us the most, but my book, uh, hashtag dine with dignity, Unlocking the Mystery of Dementia and Dining. You can get it through Amazon. You can get it through any of the other booksellers, Barnes and Nobles, whoever it may be. Um, and you can just Google me, Tony Fisk. Very simple, F-I-S-K. And, and that's it. And I'm more than happy to reach out to anyone. In fact, I have some offers in the back of my book that talk about a free consultation and you know what we want to look at for some training. I've, I've been very fortunate to do training in some, in some communities. And um, it's just been, it's been life altering, not only for the trainer, but also for their persons in their care. It's just amazing once they understand what's happening is, and we run into that fire then, and we're able to handle it. So, yeah, definitely. And if, 
And I would just tell listeners, if you see Tony's name on a session at a conference, go sit in on it. I was Mm -hmm. in Oklahoma back in August and was able to sit in on a session. And it was, uh, for somebody who's been doing this for a long time, it was pretty eye-opening, some of the things that you trained on. And so uh, I encourage everybody to try and take advantage of that. So, Tony, uh, thanks for joining us today on Tips from Trestle, and uh, we'll, we'll keep sharing the message. Great. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. So there you have it. Another one in the books. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. You can follow or direct message me on LinkedIn, where I'm always commenting and posting about food, hospitality, and leadership for the senior living industry. Or give me a follow on Twitter at AHFish or Instagram at Aaron H. Fish. And check out my company, Trestle Hospitality Concepts, at www.trestlehospitalityconcepts.com. I'm your host, Aaron Fish, and this has been another episode of Tips from Trestle.